Happy Father's Day Connection Point. It's so good to be home uh, with our church family. We spent 31 years here working with the church. We've been gone for almost three years now as of end of September. And it's just so good to continue to be here. We pray regularly for you. Uh, John and I and Greg and numbers of the staff members uh, talk together regularly. I read about what's happening here. We still send our primary tithe to this congregation because we believe in what you're doing here. We're excited to watch you continue to grow and be all that God has called you to be. So it's always an honor when John asked me to come and speak to the church family of Connection Point that now really reaches all across the globe and throughout our nation. So wherever you're watching this from today, let's talk a little bit about something called a dad. Have you heard about a dad before? It's Father's Day weekend, so let's talk about it for just, just a minute. And before we talk about a dad, uh, there, there, there's no way with all the technology we have today, there's no way we can create the picture of this guy right here, okay? No technology can replace a fully alive, breathing guy like this who looks like this, who's doing his yard while his kids are embarrassed, a real live dad out there in front of the neighborhood. Here he is. But you can't replace him. And that just reflects, I think, every dad in one way or another because none of us have it together, okay? None of us have it together. And it was it occurred to me as well when John asked me to talk about words on this particular weekend that I don't know right now in this season, more than ever in my lifetime, I feel like I should be listening more than I should be talking. It's like, have you ever seen people in a very intense argument? We're seeing that pretty regularly these days. And so much so that each side is arguing so loudly, it's like they're not even listening to each other. You can almost read that they're thinking of their response before the other person is even finished. They're not listening. It doesn't happen just on television, in our streets. It happens in our churches. It happens in our neighborhoods. It happens in our homes. So I haven't come to you today to speak to you words. I'd like to bring to you God's words. And so when John asked me on Father's Day to talk about words, I wanted just to go to one place, the book of Proverbs. You have your Bibles or your Bible app at home. Go ahead and you can turn to Proverbs. We'll look at all kinds of verses in Proverbs. Proverbs is done like any other book in the Bible. You don't read it through verse by verse. It's a series of wise sayings from the Spirit of God, penned by the wisest man in this life, other than the Lord himself, was King Solomon. He wrote these words to his son. So what an appropriate thing to look at today when we talk about words and the value of words so let's dig in and talk about it. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. Uh, 23 different times, Solomon refers to fathers in the book of Proverbs. 41 times, he refers to sons. It's a great deal of the part of the message. So Proverbs is primarily written for Solomon, it's set by Solomon specifically and written for his son. And of course, now it's passed on to all of their sons and daughters and all of our sons and daughters yet today. It's called the word of God. And we've received that word, this word, from him. We all have this heritage if we are a people of faith. Years ago, I was asked to preach uh, for a weekend. And uh, it was in the North Georgia mountains. It's a place where my father preached. My dad preached there when I was a toddler. And it's a little church where they come and they shake your hand at the door and you shake everybody's hand. And one guy came out and shook my hand. He said, you know, your daddy was the best preacher we ever had here. He's my favorite preacher. I said, that's great. 
He said, you're not, you're not your daddy, but you're okay. I think that is a great compliment because I was given a heritage of faith. Proverbs chapter 4 says this, my children, listen when your father corrects you, pay attention and learn good judgment. For I'm giving you good guidance, don't turn away from my instructions. For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, take my words to heart and follow my commands and you will live. You see, Solomon's dad was a guy named David. You heard of David before? He killed the giant Goliath. He was anointed to be the king of Israel. So here are these three generations we find in the book of Proverbs where Solomon, he's kind of the bridge between his grandfather, of course, and uh, his own child, the grandson. Many of you are in the same place. You're right kind of in the place of passing the torch from what you have received or a torch you've got to pass on of faith to those who are coming behind you. And so these three generations of David and Solomon, now his children, it tees up for what you and I have to do in our generation today. We are to teach uh, what God wants us to be. The truth is, many of you are listening to this right now, and you did not have any person to teach you how to be a man of God. There are many women listening to this. No one ever taught you what it is to be a woman of God. But understand, you know what? Even if you, even if you had a good dad or a good mom, there are no perfect dads. <laughs> They know perfect moms. They're no perfect parents. And Solomon was far, far from perfect, as was David far from perfect. And here's the key. The advice we look at today is really not from Solomon. These words are delivered especially from the Holy Spirit of God. He's, this is advice from God today whose words are perfect. So when he tells his sons, listen, listen up to this wisdom I'm going to talk to you about today. Not because he always followed these words, but because they come from God. Now, I like that because we preachers can say, now listen to this, I don't have to follow it, but God said it. No, that really doesn't work. We're supposed to teach. The Bible says we'll be judged more strictly those of us who teach, but at the same time, even those of us who teach, we do not follow it perfectly. Listen to these words, not because John said them, or Steve said them, or anybody else said them, but because God said them. And Solomon realizes that. And he gave this wisdom to his sons who in turn passed it unto us and what God, God wants us to be. And God's wisdom is still so wise. We're hearing so many voices all around us today. So who are, who are we going to listen to for the wisdom around us? I would make a strong case today, the most powerful wisdom and voice that we have today to hone in on like never before is God in the heart of God. And I would specifically say the wisdom of God found in the book of Proverbs. Because we will make mistakes. Have you learned from your mistakes? Sure we have. Can I tell you something even wiser than that? Learn from somebody else's mistakes. Solomon writes out of many of his own mistakes. And it's so much better. Let's learn from some of his mistakes as he writes out of this wisdom from God. Because it's not about us being perfect, but it's about doing what God calls us to do. Be humble enough to learn to do it God's way. And I know there's nobody beyond getting words of wisdom. Now, it is Father's Day, so I've got to at least tell one dad joke, all right? So, you know, just bear with me here. But I do love the story about this couple that enjoy going out on their boat. They just love going out on their boat. Husband and wife are out there alone, enjoying the waters. He, the husband's behind the wheel, you know, operating the boat. He suddenly turns to his wife, and he's beginning, he had been thinking about what happens if there's an emergency sometime. 
So uh, he turns to his wife and he says, okay, come on, I want you to take over and steer right now. Let's pretend that I'm having a heart attack and you need to take the wheel and get this boat into dock. And he sat down. She sat up there. She had no problem. She steered the boat safely into dock. They went home that night. Not much was said about it. Husband was sitting in the family room reading a novel. Wife walked in, sat beside her husband, flipped on the television. She said, hey, honey, I want you to go into the kitchen. Would you do that? Pretend I'm having a heart attack. Fix the dinner and do the dishes. Would that be all right? Well, you know what? Sometimes those of us who always think we get advice, we need to be humble enough to learn as well. We never get beyond that. Proverbs chapter 2 puts it this way. My child, listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you'll gain knowledge of God. Think how different your life would be and my life would be if we would read that every night before we go to bed instead of watching the latest headline that alarms us before we go to bed. Solomon talks about this powerful direct connection between the heart and our words. What do you take into your heart? It will impact your words. What my mouth says reflects what's inside my heart. Jesus said the same thing. He said this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. The words you speak just simply come right out of the heart. Now, we try to filter, maybe some of us right now with all the arguments going on in our culture, politically and every other direction, it's like, I'm just going to watch what I say, and you try to filter what's going on, well, guess what? Whatever's in your heart is probably going to come out. Especially when you're angry or frustrated, what's in there comes out. You know what? I always tried to not preach on a topic when I was angry. I didn't always do it, but I tried not to do it. Because I know when I'm angry and frustrated, my words are not probably going to be wise. It won't be, be heard with the spirit and the tone of Christ. And so I would ask all of us this question on this weekend. Here it is. What do your words say about your heart? And I hope that you, as a family or as friends, as you're listening to this, sometime this weekend, ask each other this question and just talk about it. I want you to really think about it. What do the words you speak say about your heart? There have been so many, never been so many words that have come at us the way they are today. Between the iPhone and the texting and the emailing and the tweeting and the Skyping, Facebook, Zoom, words are coming all of the time and even probably even more so since the pandemic. You know, before the pandemic happened, the stats were we, that most of us averaged about 30 conversations a day. In other words, they said we spent about 20% of our lifetime just simply talking so if we recorded every single conversation that we had over a year, they tell us there'd be enough words to fill 132 books you'd write a year, 200 pages apiece. We all say a lot, some of us more than others, but we constantly use words. So here's the question. If somebody were to, put, were to pull a book out of a shelf and they were to read the words that just you spoke this week, what would those words in that book say about you? Proverbs 18.21 sums it up this way. The tongue can bring death or life. Pretty straight, isn't it? 
I dug into my notes on this theme as I prepared to talk this weekend. About a decade ago, I asked members of this church, about 3,000 people or so at the time, probably here, and I asked you to give me some hurtful words that you've gone through in your life. I just want to share a few of them. Here are a few words and phrases. Let's start with the good side of them. Here are some words and phrases that brought life to you, because I really was anxious to read these. And this is just about 10 of them that we're going to summarize. God loves you just the way you are. You are an inspiration. Some of you have heard that. Don't you love when somebody says, I'm really praying for you? When somebody says to you, you are right where God wants you to be. Or you're making a difference in my child's life. People were told that who are working with our kids in church. Or when somebody says, you know what, I see Jesus in you. Here's a powerful word when somebody can say, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Boy, that's a mature person, isn't it? A person says, you know what, you're just a breath of fresh air. Uh, one parent said, a child said, told him, thank you for adopting me. Here's my favorite. Just, just a mom quotes her child, I love you, mommy. I won't ever leave you. You are the most beautiful in the world, as only a child can say. Kids can touch your heart. But anybody can with the right words at just the right time when they say it for the right reason. It comes out of the heart. But sadly, words also have the power of death. Proverbs 12, 18 says, some people make cutting remarks. I began with that early on because we've heard it. Every single day we hear it. I don't know if you women do this when it comes to cutting remarks or scars. Sometimes I notice guys are almost proud of our scars. Now, I know that's weird, but we're almost proud of our scars. In fact, let me brag just a little bit today. <clears throat> I have a scar on each knee. I've had this knee replaced and this knee replaced. Uh, I have uh, two scars in my chin. I have, a, I have a scar from stitches on my wrist. I have a scar on my shin from high school basketball. I have a scar inside my mouth from a pitch that didn't break. It was supposed to be a curveball. Hit me right in the mouth. I have a scar on my shoulder. I have a shoulder replaced. I have scars all over the place, okay? In fact, I have to tell you, I have to see these scars every time I take a shower. And they get uglier the older you get. But you still have those scars, and though you externally have those, those hurts, those wounds you're reminded of. In fact, the largest scar I have is probably right here. They removed something called a lipoma. It's about, they said it was about the size of a grapefruit, and they didn't even put me asleep 30 years ago when I did it. They called it fatty tissue. I said, thank you very much for that. Called the lipoma. Would you like to see it? Let me show it to you right now. No, I don't think we'll do that. That might be over the line. But guys, we tend to show scars. You can look at your body and see, oh, that reminds me of a wound that I have. But you know what? There's no doubt about it. The deepest wounds you have are on the inside. And that's really what people are talking about in our streets these days. The wounds people have relationally, socially, spiritually. Deep wounds that are going on. They're the deepest wounds of all that you can carry around for years. And many of you have those scars, even this very weekend, as you listen to these words, you're kind of cringing up a little bit now because you have those wounds from cutting 
remarks. And when I asked about a decade ago, this, the church, these are church people of this congregation who shared these things with me. Here's just a half a dozen of them. One person in this church told me that they were told you should die and make the world a better place. Many people wrote, they've heard the words, I hate you. Another was, they were told, I don't ever want to see or hear from you again. Someone in this church told me, you are an underachiever, they were told. You'll never amount to anything. And number six, you're as dumb as you look. That's all I want to share about those. There are so many more. But I've, it hurts a little deeper every time I hear those words that have wounded you. Hurtful words are so intense. And some of you live or work in environments or live in a neighborhood where your environment is very toxic. And so let's talk about these three kinds of words this weekend, okay? Let's do this briefly. Here's the first. There are hurtful words. And I'm talking primarily to Christian folks about this, so let's talk first of all about gossip. Gossip. Christian people, unfortunately, tend to gossip. It's almost an acceptable sin to many Christian people. And gossip is not just saying an unkind word behind somebody's back. It's more than that. If the person you're talking about knew you were saying it, it would cut them deeply. It would leave a scar. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28 describes it this way. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates, creates a wound between the best of friends. You know what the word gossip literally means? The whisperer. The whisperer. They want to stay undercover when they say these very biting comments. And we tend to hear gossip. Now, have you noticed other people gossip but when I do it, it's not gossip. Are you with me? In other words, I don't have a problem with gossip. But you ought to hear my neighbor. That guy has got a problem with gossip. I mean, he really does. In fact, I'll just, I just I've had to spend some time with just two or three. Let me suggest what I think are two or three very common Christian ways of justifying gossip. How about this one? I have a prayer request Small group gets together. Somebody says, have any prayer requests? Yes, I have one. And then they tell you something about someone, and they kind of spiritualize it by saying, we need to pray for my neighbors. I walked by their house. I heard them yelling at each other. I think we should pray for them. Now, you can call that a prayer request. I call that gossip. Or sometimes we'll use this one. Here's a great one. Bless their heart. You know, you can say anything about anybody. But as long as you end it with bless their heart, then you think you're saying it in love. You say, I can't believe how foolish they were. Bless his heart. Can you believe she's wearing that? Bless her heart. But it's still unkind. We rationalize it. It's not concern. It's wounding. It's hurting. Or here's another one. I'm just telling it like it is. See, Christian people, we're supposed to be truth tellers. Well, I just, I just tell it like it is. Now, that may sound okay. But if you're talking behind somebody's back, as if you're doing that, in a, some people will talk about somebody's back and say, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I've got I've to speak up and be strong. It's almost like they're courageous in speaking the truth. And, and, and if somebody says to you, now I'm not telling you anything that I wouldn't tell them myself. The truth is, they didn't tell the person themselves or they wouldn't be talking to you. 
If you want to stop that, when they come to you, God calls it a sin right away, okay? Because what it does to relationships. I've seen what it does to families. I see what it does to churches. I'm working with many churches who've been so wounded by this kind of conversation. Proverbs 26, verse 20, he doesn't mess around. He says, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Quarrels disappear when the gossip stops, which is to say, there's gossiping, there's going to be quarrels, there'll be divisions going on. It's amazing how quickly things will settle down when somebody begins to talk to you about something, you go, and they say, well, I, would, I would tell the person myself, and you say, well, let's just go talk to them right now. Let's go tell them right now what you said to me. I think we should go talk to them. My guess is that the gossip stops right there. That's what we need to do. Fire goes out as soon as there's a stop put to it. And by the way, if you didn't pick up there, gossip is not just what we say, it's what we listen to. Over the years, some people say, I don't know why so many people come and tell me these things about other people. I do because you'll listen to it. People seek out people who will listen to it. And we're just as wrong for listening to the gossip as well as speaking it. Proverbs 17, verse 4, it's like he's thought of everything here. Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. It's like, tell me more, tell me more. Just as wrong. And so family of God, we have a huge responsibility, especially in this toxic season in our culture today, of speaking gossip, but avoiding listening to gossip, okay? Those are hurtful words. And there's just one more, and let's just talk about it. It's criticism. Uh, negative people are all around us, and it happens regularly, and it sucks the life right out of you. There are people you can talk to about almost anything, and it won't take long, and they'll start to talk about problems at their job, something they don't like at work, something that's wrong with their commute, you know, now that they're back going to work perhaps, or something like that, somebody in their family. Uh, it's just gonna start to happen. They'll start to complain about their spouse, something their spouse is not doing, or something that they are doing. Some will eventually start to talk negatively about their child, about their school. Um, they, they may talk negatively about the church. They may complain about the music style of the church. That's still, that conversation still happens. I can't believe it does, but it still does happen. People do that. I know, I know there's taste in music, but people argue over songs that are honored to God. They disagree over sermons that are based out of the word of God, but they'll argue over sermons. And in the church this size, when this church comes back to the house of God and thousands of people are coming out of this lot, Boy, there's no greater test, is there, when you come into this church parking lot? <laughs> and when you wait in lines at the children's registration? It's really hard to not go negative. And so that's why some pastors have this kind of unofficial list. They kind of learn in time when you're at a church. It takes about four to six years to get to know this. But there are certain people that are just going to be negative. And you may try to adjust some things when they complain about something. But it's just a matter of time, they're going to come back again. They just almost can't help themselves. It's a, it's a habitual pattern that's developed. And there's something about critis, criticism and critical people. Critical people are hurting people. Hurt people hurt people. And some people have been wounded so deeply, the scar, they've not allowed God or other people to heal the scar. And so they're going to lash out and hurt other people. You know anybody like that? I don't point at them if they're sitting with you. Don't write down their name if you're thinking about them. But look in the mirror. Say, do I, am I that kind of a person? 
University of Denver did a rather interesting study, and they showed how negativity is one of the most accurate predictors of how people function in their marriage. Now, this is huge. You want to know how to have a marriage that lasts? Listen to this. They found out couples who'd been married for 10 years or more, <clears throat> when the ratio of negative comments was five or less for every 100 comments, the marriage was going to last. Five out of 100 at the most negative comments. But when there were 10 or more negative comments for every 100 comments, almost inevitably, the marriage would split. Because words of criticism, words of complaining, suck the life out of that relationship. It's miserable to work with people like that. It's miserable to live in that kind of environment. You're not motivated, are you? Or you're afraid to do anything. You're almost stepping, stepping on eggshells because you're so afraid of offending somebody. And I'll be, I'm just going to say, honestly, right now in our culture, I'm almost afraid to say anything. It's a dangerous place to be where we're, it's such a toxic place you can't even just speak from your heart. You have to be very careful what you're going to say and uh, be very cautious with this and especially with the critical comments. When you feel strong about them, talk about it in a healthy way. See, this is how you know, by the way, if you have somebody like this in your life. Do you have somebody like this in your life? Here's how you know. Uh, if their name pops up on your telephone and you go, oh, no. You just know it's going to be a long, negative conversation. You know it. If when you pull into the parking lot and their car's not there and you secretly go, yes, you have that person in your life. Isn't that sad? You just know there's going to be a negative environment if they're there. And so you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be around that kind of a person. Proverbs 10 verse 11 says, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Those people, that's who you need to be with and that's who you need to be. God's vision for our speech, Proverbs 10 verse 21. No, the words of the godly encourage many people. So here's, here's the deal. It comes down to this. When you speak, is it about complaining? Are you focused on complimenting? Are you focused on criticizing? Are you all about encouragement? There's a book called The Carrot Principle. It's a business book. It indicates that encouragement is the primary ingredient missing. It's a hidden accelerator that makes effectiveness go on in a work environment. They interviewed 200,000 people over a 10-year period of time. Here's what they found. Encouragement was the number one thing employees were looking for from their boss. 200,000, number one. Those who had high work morale, 94.4% agreed their managers showed appreciation regularly. Managers, are you hearing that? 79% of employees who quit their jobs, okay, four out of five, said there was a lack of appreciation and encouragement that was the main reason they left. Now, it could be maybe nothing was said, but they certainly were not being appreciated and complimented and they left. 58% of employees who report a low work morale also talk about managers who had low marks of encouragement. And so our words have this tremendous power of life and death in the home, in a work environment, certainly the church environment. And so what's the key to improving this? Boy, let's begin to talk about something positive, right? Like helpful words. Oh, let's talk about helpful words. How can we improve our speech? Let's spend the rest of our few minutes on this. First of all, understand that these words come from the heart. And don't skip this first step. You say, we already went over that. No, take your time and slow down on this one. If you're somebody that's constantly criticizing, there's a reason for that. There's some bitterness or anger in your heart that needs to be dealt with. 
And you can say, okay, I get it. I'm not going to be critical anymore. I'm not going to do this. But until you forgive, you give grace, till you receive that grace from God and seek it from him, you'll continue to be a critical person. Maybe you were deeply wounded by somebody in the past. But until you forgive, you let God deal with them, but you, you stop wanting them to be hurting. It'll be toxic to you. It's like cancer of the emotions on the inside. It wounds you to try to forgive your mother or father or someone who has hurt you so deeply. You need to focus on what God says about you. That's the whole key. And it'll help you to encourage other people. Maybe you are one of the complainers. I have no idea. And you don't know why it is, but it keeps coming up. I don't know why. Maybe you feel entitled. And so until you start taking time every single day, I would say if you're a believer in Christ, until you take time every day to get on your knees, if you can, would you thank God of the ways he's blessed you and it's for his grace and his mercy until you start doing that every day, you'll continue to complain. Maybe you gossip even though you don't mean to do it. Why you do it? Again, it's often, look into the mirror, it may be jealousy. You compare yourself with other people and you're not celebrating. Celebrate other people. Uh, don't be what somebody else is. Be who God has called you to be. And don't put down what somebody else is. Don't be jealous of them. Be thankful for how God has blessed you and do the best you can with what he's given to you. If you keep focusing on comparison, pairing, you're going to struggle with gossip to the day you die because everything comes from within. Here's the second thing. It's so obvious. Pray before you speak. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Let me just hit these in fast fashion. There is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. Look at the next one. In Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Okay? So too much talk can lead to sin. Be sensitive. Keep your mouth shut. I like that one a lot. Proverbs 10, 19. And so in the moment before you open your mouth, the deal is stop and just say, God, would you give me your wisdom? Would you give me your tone? Would you give me your words? Would you guard my steps and guard my lips? And listen to me. The less you feel like praying that prayer, the more important it is that you pray that prayer. And then speak the right word at the right time. I love the message, the way it puts this, this passage in Proverbs 25, verse 11. The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. Everybody goes, oh, that's nice. You just know it's the right word coming from the right person at the right time. And there's life and there's healing in that moment. And when you say to somebody, I am so proud of you. When you say, I am so sorry. When you say, you know, you really are doing a tremendous job. When you say, I really am praying for you. Um, we, when we say to each other, listen, we can get through this. You'll get through this. Those are the words of life. And dads and moms, listen, we're never going to be like God. We're not. But we can be more like God if we take the time where God is at work within us. There's always another chance with God's grace. So when you mess up, don't give up. Bring it right back to God. You can become the godly man, godly woman that God wants you to be with a person who lives a life out of, out of faith. John's been talking to you about the power of faith the last three weeks. You can live that life, and you can pass on that baton of faith to those coming behind you with the help 
of God. Proverbs 23, verse 24 says, The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. And so we don't want to be using hurtful words. We want to use helpful words, and we want to focus third on holy words. The words of our Heavenly Father, that's our focus. As much as a father might want to make the decisions for your kids, and every parent wants to make decisions for your kids, they're going to have to make their own decisions. Eventually, they're going to have to decide. You cannot be responsible for them. Here's what I've seen. In fact, sometimes some of the best parents have kids who've broken their hearts. It happens. They walk away from God. Can I tell you this? Some absent parents and faithless parents sometimes end up with kids who somehow make wise decisions and follow the Lord. I don't always understand that. In that case, the cycle is broken because God has come in and God has the power to take away the fears and conquer the, all of that with the power of Christ. But God can give you true wisdom. And it's only going to come from God the Father who takes our past and changes it into a brand new future. Have you learned yet that your greatest hurt will probably be your greatest blessing? Uh, many of you know that my father passed away when I was nine years old. And uh, my pastor kind of became my father figure until I married. And then uh, I married Kristen 44 years ago. And then uh, when I met her father, I thought I had a pretty good model, role model for a father, but I had no idea to what degree that godly man would be in my life. And he's been a wonderful father to me. God has provided the father to the fatherless. There's another man in this congregation who was a friend of mine, about a 20-year relationship we developed in a number of ways, and he was raised with a different heritage of faith. It was not faith in Jesus Christ. It was a very strong Jewish faith. He would always preface every conversation, thanks for talking with me, although I'm not a member of your church. You know I'm Jewish. <laughs> and we'd always talk about that. And finally one day I saw him in a hospital room, and he, I said, hey, he said, he said, I can't believe you came here. I'm not a member of your church. I said, but Ben, you're just my friend. He said, you know, you're right. I guess we are just friends. Well, in time, I'll never forget the time when in this church building, Ben Katz, big, big man, came and to my office and he said, Steve, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want God to be my Father, but Jesus to be my Savior and the Holy Spirit to be my Comforter. And so we shared his story that day with the church family and uh, how God would just kind of rekindle all that. Here was this dad, and he was a dad who raised his sons by himself. Like my mom raised our kids, the three of us, by herself. And then my wife's father lost her mother when, um, before our first baby was born, and he married a second time to a woman. She passed six, away six days later, or six years later. And then he married another woman who was in a church choir for years. Now they've been married 27 years. He'll be 96 in September. His wife is 92. He just has invented a new way to play bridge. And he asked me this past week how he could get it copyrighted. I want to be like him when I grow up. The guy's unbelievable. 
Of course, they're in a place where they, we can't see them. So for the first time since the pandemic, we traveled down to Cincinnati outside and we sent them a, good, a goodie bag and we were waving at them from below, four stories up, and we we're speaking back and forth to them on the phone. And they have communion every week in their, in their house. He's been an elder for 50 years. So he writes for just the two of them a communion meditation every week. Because he has to have communion meditation. So he writes a new one. And he said, now she criticizes me every week. But it turns out okay. I said, well, that's what good for me for 44 years too. It's good to have a partner help to clean your stuff up. So he's still writing communion meditations at 96 years of age. And so how do these stories tie together? Well, when my wife and I left this church, we received a lot of very kind words and gifts from members of this congregation. But Ben came down here and hugged my neck and about broke my neck because he's such a big old teddy bear. Chris and I, he gave us this wonderful book. It's called the deluxe edition of a book called Ben Sings My Soul. It's a story of um, 300 hymns of faith. My wife and I have been using it for daily devotions, the stories behind the wonderful hymns of faith. And it meant so much to us, and we went down to see Kristen's dad. We said, hey, would you like to have this for a while, and then we'll get it back from you, and we explained how special it was from this been in our life who's such a special person, this common father we have, and to pass that on to him. And so now how the way God has worked with this young Jewish father that you met years ago now, knows the Lord, and passed this on to encourage us. And it's, an, it's really touched our hearts during these three months together at home. And then now to pass it on to our father, uh, Kristen's dad. I looked before we took it over to him. I read again the words about why we were going to give it to him. There's a song in there by Isaac Watts. Uh, he wrote it in 1719. That's 301 years ago. He wrote the words, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Speaks about our shelter from the stormy past for our eternal home. As I gave that book to him and he opened it up, we described it to him. I thought of every morning as he walks with God to be reminded of those words that were passed on to him by his father. He passed them on to my wife who passed them on to me. And in time, here's this man who is still new in his faith who passed them on to us. That's the wisdom of God. And what I'd like to do is to pray for you and pray for me. Focusing on God alone, close your eyes and listen to these words. My child, never forget these things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Turn them around or tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. And then you'll find favor, the Bible says, with both God and people. You'll earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. People say, Pastor, where are we going now? I don't know. I don't know who to follow. So let's pray to him right now. Kind Father, thank you that you are the only wise giver of words. You've given us hearts. 
we've experienced woundedness, we have caused wounds. May we seek forgiveness for those that we have harmed. May we seek to bring healing, only healing and encouragement to those who've been wounded. May we be builders of the bridge and may this Connection Point Church continue to connect people to, to the Lord and to Jesus Christ until Jesus returns one day. And we gather at your feet and only listen to the words of the wisdom of our Heavenly Father. Would you bless every home, every individual, those who are living alone even right now. May you be the comforter of them that they're never alone in that home and they might be guided by you as they take one step at a time which path to take. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.